All right, welcome to another episode of Let There Be Talk. This is a rare Thursday edition, and it is episode number 694. Today, this is a very uh, important podcast for me because I want you guys to hear this man's story and help, if you can, in any way with donations to his GoFundMe. My guest today is Jimmy Hayward. And if you follow me on Instagram or YouTube or Twitter, you know that last week I hosted and sat in on a benefit for Jimmy Hayward put on by the great Primus and members of Tool and Queens of the Stone Age and Jimmy's band, The Siegelman. Now, if you don't know who Jimmy is, let me just tell you this. This man is a king in the animation world. He's worked on some humongous films, Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Mike's New Car, Finding Nemo, Shrek 2, Free Birds, all of the big stuff. He's also directed Horton Hears a Who, Jonah Hex, the list goes on and on. He's been animating since he was around, I guess, 19 years old, maybe 18. His story is insane. Started at Pixar when they were brand new. Hung out with Steve Jobs. Worked with Steve Jobs. His sister dated Malcolm Young. A side note there, which is incredible and crazy. And he is uh, loved in the rock and roll and animation world. Especially uh, from Les Claypool and the Primus Gang and the Tool Gang. And myself. And I know that you're going to love him, too. And his uh, story is brutal, but it is also very inspiring to let you know whatever little problems you think you have that are huge, they're not. They're small in the world of uh, your life. And the most important thing in life, the number one thing is health. You've got to have good health. And as... uh, Jimmy says on here, go get yourself checked, no matter what it is. Your ass, your boobs, your skin. Go to the doctor. Don't put it off. Anyway, it was great to have Jimmy on. His GoFundMe link is in the uh, description of this podcast. And is also on the Whole of Rosie video that I posted on YouTube. And... Uh, It would be great if you could help. Jimmy, I love you. And I cannot thank you enough for uh, stopping by the house with your positive energy, as the great Brody Stevens would say. So sit back, everybody. Enjoy this Thursday ride. One more thing before we get into the episode. The SD card on the fabulous recorder uh, malfunctioned on the last minute of the episode, so it cuts off kind of weird. But basically, we were done with the episode. So just letting you know, it stops abruptly and kind of weird. So candles are lit. Mr. Jimmy Hayward. All right, here we are. Another episode of Let to Be Talked. This is a uh, little special episode that will be out on a Thursday. Uh, today, actually, which is... Uh, I haven't done a Thursday one in a long time, but this is an important podcast, and I... I want to get it out as soon as uh, possible. I know that most of you saw the footage of me singing last Monday night with uh, Primus 
and uh, Les, Tim, and Lur, and then a couple guys from Tool, which was unbelievable, Danny and Justin, and then uh, Troy Van Leeuwen of uh, Queens of the Stone Age. And uh, as cool as that clip was and as, as insane it was for me to do that that show and to be asked to host it, it was, uh, it, it was for an important, important uh, benefit for our friend Jimmy Hayward. And uh, he's sitting here today. I want to have him on right away because he has a GoFundMe. And I really want you guys to uh, hit this link uh, now or at the end of the show or whatever because uh, my man has uh, cancer. Or We're going to find out exactly what's going on here with him. And we're going to talk about his incredible career uh, in animation and, of course, uh, his band The Seagullman with Brent Hines and Danny and all those guys. So a lot of stuff to cover here. How are you, buddy? Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. And thanks, first of all, thank you so much for... Uh for doing that it was amazing it was an incredible incredible night you were amazing and awesome and uh your fan base loved it and obviously all the guys i mean those guys those guys i mean i go way back with like car seats with those dudes way back you know danny justin all the guys in primus you know troy and and you know the guys that couldn't make it <laughs> it was amazing and i was kind of overwhelmed and i was sick so uh it was tricky but uh, to get through, but I had a great time. It was kind of like your wedding, you know, like you, uh, it's a blur. It's uh, interesting because I've jammed with a lot of guys in my life. I've done that Bon Scott tribute once a year for years, and I played with some uh, dream people. But to be asked to do that, immediately, I, would, I didn't even know I was going to sing. I was just said, hey, I'll do some comedy, I'll host, whatever I can do to be part of it. I wanted to be part of it. And uh, they asked me to do a whole lot of Rosie, and I was like, okay, cool. And, and to sing with two, I, I said it at the intro, those are two bands, three bands, really, if you count Queens, that are a huge uh, part of my life artistically and a drive for me to always try to do something outside the box. Yeah. And the first time I ever saw Tool on the on the EP and, and all the way up, you know, growing up in San Francisco, they were a huge band on the jukebox at like Murillo's Trophy Room and anywhere on Haight Street, walking around there. And then, of course, Primus is, uh, it, they're just in my blood, man. I, I've known those guys since they started and I absolutely love all those guys. And to play with those guys, and then you over there rocking some ACDC. But the real big thing to me was, of course, it sold out in minutes because who's there? But people were really genuinely uh, down for the cause. And sure, look, man. people get sick every day, and, and there's a lot of sick people out there. But if you can get friends together and help each other, uh, it, that's really uh, it, just incredible. You that's know? what Les says. We got to look out for each other, man. We got to look out for each other. One of us goes down, the rest of us got to pull him up. It's a hundred percent true. Hundred percent, dude. It's it's amazing. And a lot of people out there, are like, you know, uh, it's tricky because I've been at this for almost three years now. So, my wife was nine months pregnant. My face was shifting all over the place. My nose was swelling up and moving around. And for a year, I'd been going to see these doctors. And I knew something was really wrong. And this, they were like, no, man, you're fine. I was like, do I have cancer? And they're like, ha, ha, no. Um, so 
I, I knew something was wrong. I remember looking at my wife Christmas morning and being like, I think I have fucking cancer. And she's like, Merry Christmas, dude. Wow. But, but I knew my face was swelling up so crazy. And I went and saw this guy at UCLA, this ear surgeon who's worked on a whole bunch of rock and roll people that I know, um, told me to go see. And he was like, can you come over at 5 a.m.? So I just ri- ripped over there on my bike. He took, I took off my COVID mask. He was like, sit down, man. You're in serious trouble. Nine, uh, maybe nine days later, I was having part of my eye socket amputated. Wow. And then they called me. They were like, I think we got some of the stuff out. And they called me four days after that surgery. And we're like, you need to come back in like a couple days. So I still had fresh stitches all over my face. They, and then they kept going. They did three more. Then eventually they cut a strip about two inches wide from here all the way to the back of my head. So they took off half of my nose, this part of my eye socket, big chunk there. And they just kept digging. And my wife gave birth to my son right then. Wow. So we had a two-year-old and a newborn at home. And I was in the hospital with like a huge hole in my face. You could see the top of my teeth. And I didn't know if I was going to survive or not. Now, uh, that was bananas. A couple questions here. First of all, you're just chilling around the house one day and your face starts to move around. Like, uh, it just started uh, swelling up. Like, it just started swelling up. My mom and my grandmother and like my whole family's Irish. We like all Southern, growing up in Southern California and stuff, like just squamous cell carcinoma on the external part of the face is just like, like my mom's got little X marks on her face and my grandmother, you know, they get, they get these like, you know, skin cancer lesions. Is that a form of melanoma? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a squamous cell carcinoma is like a, yeah, like a skin cancer. But mine, I got this fluky gene and it grew in. So we couldn't see stuff on the surface. It was growing inside and uh, it wrapped itself up around my eye, you know, around behind my eye and then back into the middle of my head. And they had to take three or four big pieces out. And then, then they were like, I, was, I thought I was out of the woods. And they were like, dude, we got to go in for deep radiation. So then I went into the radiation drop in. And that was, that was bananas. I, I, was in, I was in radiation for, I don't know, seven weeks. But they were frying me. And now I'm, I'm having my 18th surgery tomorrow. Tomorrow 18th, morning. 18th. 18th. Now, second question. <laughs> when you go see this ear doctor, what type of doctor is it? And how could he see it right away? And the other people didn't. He knew me. And he was the guy that had helped me with my scarring and my eardrums and stuff. He's like, he's like, he helped out tools manager Pete. He's like worked on a lot of rock and roll guys. And he was, he was working on my ears for a while. And I didn't realize like my eustachian tubes were getting messed up because I had cancer in the back of my face. So my sinuses were getting fucked up and my eyes were getting, I was losing my vision. I was forgetting people's names. Wow. So all this crazy stuff was happening. And this other doctor was like, I don't know what the problem is, but it's not cancer. Wow. And this guy was like, dude, I know your face and you look really bad. And he sent me to this other guy. He's just an ear doctor, but he's like an ear specialist surgeon, crazy dude. And they work, you know, ENT guys all kind of work together, ear, nose, and throat people. Yeah. And so they sent me over to this guy at UCLA who I'm still, who's operating on me tomorrow. And that was two and a half years ago. So you can imagine, we're all working away in entertainment. And you know what's weird, dude? Is I, the, the night I met you in passing, I was with Larry Lalonde. Yeah. It was the last night I went out. Yeah, the Bon Scott the tribute. The Bon Scott tribute. Yeah. I met you and Bill Burr that night. And that's the last night I went out until... The benefit. The benefit. That's crazy. <laughs> bananas. That's the weirdest night ever because I booked that uh, show and here's this mystery illness coming through. And it, it was like people were emailing me like, hey, I'm coming from uh, Australia or I'm coming from Ireland or I'm coming from Kansas or whatever. People are coming from all over. Is it going to be canceled? And I was like, canceled? What are you talking about? No. 
You know, because I had been around during that SARS thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. I worked for the Rolling Stones when SARS happened, and that lasted like eight days. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I was like, that. no way. So it, it's crazy to think about the next day, the entire world shut down for the next couple of years. So right as we're getting, so everybody struggled through the pandemic. And uh, like I always do, I'm not complaining, just explaining. Um, but, uh, you know, that was a massive struggle. We lost a recording studio in Frogtown because, you know, people stopped paying their bills. And yeah. so we shut down our studio. We already took a big loss there. And I was sick and I didn't know what was wrong. Of course, you getting care. We just had a new, we had a new kid. You know, we had a one-year-old baby. So we're just, you know, you're just trying to get through COVID and no income for like a year. And then just when the world's over, they're throwing the doors of the world back open and going like, come on, everybody, let's go make money again. They're like, sit down, kid, you got cancer. God. So I literally went through the whole year and pl- year and a half of the of, of, or year of COVID or whatever, and then straight into cancer. So I didn't, it didn't let up. And then, you know, my director's guild and writer's guild, all my insurance, all, all, everyone's insurance lapsed over the co- over COVID. Anybody in the performing arts. That was so fucking evil, you know? <laughs> so I mean... It was so evil. It was like, here you are with your SAG card. You've been paying for years. And they go, well, you didn't work, so yeah. no insurance. You're like, hey, man, I need it now more than ever, yeah, ever. And that wasn't just SAG or, or the entertainment. That was just the world, yeah, the world. losing yeah, yeah. shit, man. I wrote a thing on a post last week saying, you know, about, about, about us doing this thing. I wrote a post just saying that, when you stop paying, they stop paying attention. You know, I no saw that. How, that. That hit me. No matter how sick you are, dude. Yeah. And so then we decided to stop paying. Like we started to stop paying. You know, we owe taxes and we owe medical. Well, they can put me in prison for not paying taxes, but they, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to, if I pay them, they're going to keep working on my head and make sure I don't die. And I got little kids. So we got, it's like, you know, it's like, like I said, it's like digging holes in the sand when the, when the tide's coming in. You got to figure out where to put it. And so we've been struggling along. And, you know, we, you know we, we work with all kinds of amazing people. And, you know, work's different now. Entertainment's different. The whole, you know what it's like being an entertainer. If you get off the track for a year, oh, it's, it's doom. You get off the track for three years, yeah. you know, you're not in pitches, you're not in meetings, you're not doing stuff. And so we've been upside down for three years. And, the, and then we pay massive amounts of money for insurance. And then you still got to pay 10, 20% of every surgery. So I've had 40-something procedures, and eight, tomorrow will be my 18th major surgery. So they're going in and opening up my sphenoids and opening up all the internal stuff so I can start breathing again. Is the cancer out of there? The cancer's out so far, but uh, they, you know, they went back in to get more three times. So we've gone in, they've cut it out, it's come back, you know, we've done that three times. So it's inside your skin. It's inside my, it's like in the bones in my face and in my sinuses and yeah. Fuck. So they just chopped all that out. So like if you took a light and you look inside here, what's this kind of nose thing that I have, whatever the fuck that is, it's just a big open space in there. Yeah. So wow. it's like, you know, if you punch me in the face, it would just go, please don't punch me in the face. Did it hurt at all? Because I remember I thought I had ass cancer. And oh, yeah. uh, I felt like I had a Bic lighter lit in front of my face. Really? It felt like burning. Whoa. Just as the t- where the tumors were here, 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 and like around here kind of thing, where, where it was affected. And it was like, I'll show you a photo that'll, I'll show you some photos that'll curl your toes. But it just, it was swelling so fast. By the time they cut it out, I remember. And because we had a newborn kid, I'd go in for surgery and I, like a buddy would just drop me off at the front door and I'd go in there with my little backpack. And the, the main one where they cut all this stuff out, I didn't know if I'd be, I'd be able to see when I woke up. And so I woke up in intensive care after my third, I think my third surgery, which is an amputation around here, around the eye. 
And they were, you know, you have to sign all this stuff when you go in. And I'm by myself. It's like four in the morning. And, you know, we had a lot of talks about whether or not they, you know, I was going to damn, I was going to lose my vision. I woke up in intensive care and all I could hear was the beeping, beep, beep, beep. And they, they had bandages all around my face, but I was so high. I was like, oh shit, I'm blind. Oh fuck. I thought I was blind for like eight hours. Wow. <laughs> I laid there for eight hours going through the motions, super high. Yeah. Um, super high. Super yeah. high on morphine, <laughs> being like, okay, I guess this is my life now. And yeah. I thought about like the Metallica One video, fixed yeah. up that old fucking totally. 20s fucking side right. of the I was yeah. like, at least I got arms and legs. I can't you know, see. All the I crazy can't talk. Shit. Yeah. I was I like, and, yeah. and then the, the, you know, in intensive care, you get your own, your own, uh, your own um, nurse person, and she came in, and I was making jokes. I, she was like, I was getting Jello from her. I was like, give me more Jello. I love Jello. And she kept bringing me jello, and I couldn't see. She's like, Mr. Hayward, you sure love your jello? I was like, why do you think I got cancer? So I could get in here and get this jello. I was still fucking making jokes like an yeah. idiot. And she was like, oh, sir, you know what? These are slipping. And she started moving my bandages around. I saw the LED lights on the vitals machine. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I can see. Oh, yeah. And that's when I realized all the little gifts you get back when you get, almost die multiple times, the little gifts you get back, and... The, it narrows down what really matters in your life, like making art with great people and your kids and your wife or whatever, you know? Yeah. And that's, yeah, so I thought I couldn't see for, uh, for eight hours, which is like, you know, it's a miracle I can see it all, that they saved it. Those guys are wizards. And I, don't, I didn't think they were going to be able to, which they, man, they did, so it's, it's amazing. But so they scan me now. I have scans every couple months. And I've got so much stuff under construction, it's impossible to tell for sure, but they think it's good. And now it's just all the damage in my lungs and the damage from radiation. So radiation barbecued the inside of my head to the point where like, I have to go through crazy procedures every day to unclog everything so I can breathe. Whoa. So it doesn't run out into my lungs and choke me in my throat oh, and stuff. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Lots of throwing up. What's the radiation like? It's, a, 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 it's, a a, it's like a big machine or something? Yeah. So the weird thing is, too, about the radiation, which people don't understand how barbaric it is. Like My brother had uh, had it you know, in his nethers, and it was a little bit easier. It sucks for everybody, because everything tastes like tinfoil for months. That's what my buddy said. He said it tastes like pennies in his mouth. Yeah, it tastes like you're chewing on Like, remember when you're a kid, you put your tongue out of a 9-volt battery? Oh, yeah. It's like that always. Oh. And, you know, I have no sense of smell anymore. It's been burned out. Yeah. But uh, from from all this radiation and stuff, but uh, they, they fit you for a mask, and they don't tell you about this. Because when you lay in the radiation sled, you can't move your head like a millimeter or barbecue something, you know, short right, something right. else. So they don't really tell you about it. And they're like, go to this address. And, you know, I got a huge hole in my face going from about left to the right to the next to my eye, all right in my face. I've got a huge hole in my face. I decided to try and go off painkillers that week like a genius. Oh, shit. You make weird decisions when you're in such distress. And I go in to this place in Santa Monica. And they're like, and they're like we're fitting you for a mask. It's going to be a quick procedure. That's all they tell you. They don't tell you any of the details. And you go in there, and they strap you to a metal table, and they pull a large, thick plastic screen out of an oven, and four people stretch it over your face, like full Hellraiser status. And you're like, oh, and literally, you can't, your Adam's apple is being crushed, your, all your major veins and arteries oh. are being crushed. And they, if you're claustrophobic, if you're not claustrophobic, you're going to be claustrophobic. I'm totally claustrophobic. Yeah, so this, you hate yeah. this. And so they stretch this thing over your face. And dude, I almost tapped out, and I'm not claustrophobic. And it was gnarly. And they were like, if you don't do it, it's going to be another week. It's going to delay radiation. So they, they're yelling at you. So you got to lay there for 20 minutes while this thing cures. Wow. And then this thing's around your face. And then they cut little, little holes out for where your mouth is and like underneath your nose. And then when you go in for radiation and you do this every single day, you go in. If, the longer you've been in the game, the better times you get. 
at the, in the beginning, you got squirrely time. Sometimes it's in the morning. So I'd walk over from the, from the cancer center over there, and they said, you're going to lose a lot of your muscle mass. You're going to lose fi- up to 50% of your muscle mass. I was like, fuck, fuck that. Why? Oh, yeah. I thought cancer made, you know, t- they were like, it doesn't burn fat. It burns your muscle. I was like, that's fair. <laughs> Chalk another one up for cancer. Yeah. So I walked there every day. My wife got me a little mat for the floor. I did sit-ups to the point where I gave myself a head of email and they had to do emergency surgery. But and I ate. They are like, eat like a seagull. Eat anything you can. So I just ate whatever I could and threw up tons. And I walked there down the stairs and walked there every day to just try and keep my muscles there. So you, you go in there and they lay you on the table. They get everything. They, they offer you music. They offer you all this kind of, I always just like keep the room super cold. Just like no warm blankets, no music. I got to focus. I had to learn how to meditate because it's terrifying you lay down on the table and they put this mask over there. Like, you ready? You really ready? They put the mask over your face. It sucks your whole face and head and wraps around your neck and throat and everything. And then they go snap, snap, snap. And they bolt it to the table. Wow. And they bolt you down. And they're like, okay. And they slide you in there and they set all the measurements and they slide you out and then they slide you back in. And then the thing starts barbecuing you for like 20 minutes. Or wow. I was in there for a long time every day. And I just learned, I just would like picture my wife's face and my kids' faces and my best friend's faces. And I would count really slowly. I'd just try and stay sane. And I had all these huge wounds inside my face. So blood clots would fall out and fall into the back of my throat. I'd be like, oh, fuck. Choking and freaking out. And if you wave your arm, it takes two minutes for them to shut the thing down. Shut everything down, get in there, get it clear, get you out, unbolt uh, your head. So you're fucking... I thought an MRI was nutty. No, dude. This... That's a fucking, that's like a, a, a holiday. This is MRI. It's fucking gnarly. So you do that every day. So I remember getting MRIs with a face cage, yeah. which suck. And I just got one the other day, and I'm like, don't even give a fuck. No big deal at all. You're just your ability to center yourself quickly and get ready. What about some morphine or something while you're in there so you're just mellow? I did it without painkillers. Right. Because I was having so much surgery, I'm on and off, on and off, on and off. Like tomorrow I'll have to go on painkillers for like at least a couple of days because I have all kinds of stitches on the inside of my face. So, but I try and get off them as quick as I can. And at first I was using like a quarter of a Xanax. Yeah. It was all I needed. Yeah. But I felt like if I was too high, I couldn't focus. And then you can have those panic moments. Oh. I, I determined it was called swallow panic for me. Your salival glands start to secrete, but you can't swallow because the, t- the grip around your throat's so tight. Yeah. And when your brain goes, why can't you swallow? You start freaking out. You want to just freak out and get out of there. Oh, yeah. So you, so you got to ramp. You got to be either, you got to be present enough to be able to focus on not freaking out. If that yeah. makes fucking sense. It's super gnarly. It's... It's one of the craziest mental exercises I've ever had to do. And since then, I've actually counseled some other people because I did really well and I got through it. I learned all kinds of stuff. Like I was like, if I eat frozen grapes before I go in, it'll calm my saliva glands down. And then some other doctor told me like, drink cold liquid through a small straw, like a tiny cocktail straw. Like just dumb things like that. But getting people fit for the mask, the couple times the counselors at this hospital called me and said like, hey, there's a person, they're in rock and roll, they're similar to you, whatever. They're in movies or whatever, but... They can't do it. They can't get the fitting. And if they can't get the fitting, they can't get the radiation. If they can't get the radiation, they're Fuck. not going to live. So will you call this person? So I do Zoom calls with people and just be like, listen, man, this is how I got through it. Yeah. You know, here's, yeah. What, I, here's what I did. And that it just helps, you know. A uh, good friend of me and like Josh Homme and Troy and everybody uh, named, do you know Rio Hackford? No. You never met Rio Hackford? He owns, uh, he, you know, he, he's a great longtime actor. You know, the guy that plays hockey with Vince Vaughn and Swingers, right. all the way to The Mandalorian. He's yeah, in like yeah. 20, 30 movies. Um, his dad's Taylor Hackford, the, the director. 
And Helen Mirren's a stepmom. Oh, wow. He's a great dude. He's like, Helen. Yeah, yeah. The best, great. the best ever. The family's amazing. But he passed away from cancer about, I think, maybe six, seven months ago. And the last, one of the last sessions we had was me helping him try to get his mask fit. Because even him, who's one of the strongest, studliest, manliest, best dudes with a mustache in the world, had trouble getting fit for that mask. It's like, oh, and I speak only highly of that man as I revered him. He's one of my best favorite people. But um, just, it doesn't, nobody's immune from going through that process and not being terrified. <laughs> it sucks. Let me ask you this. No kids, no wife. Would you have just tapped out? Uh, that's a good question. That was pretty barbaric. I don't. I think I would have gone for it. I'm but, just asking. But I think with no with kids and wife, when I was in the, dark, I remember them saying to me like, "Do you own handguns?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, uh, yeah." They're like, "Can you get them out? Can you lend them to a friend or something? Can you get someone to take it out of the house?" I'm like, "I'm not gonna fucking kill myself." Oh. Gotcha. Three weeks later. Yeah. I'm just like, this is. There's no point. Oh shit. I'm gonna incur like two million dollars worth of debt. I'm going to dump it all on my wife or dump it all, you know, and, and then I'm fucking, and then I'm going to die anyway. And I'm just going to incur all this debt. And a lot of it's around how bad our medical system is. But you, that darkness that you get into where you're like, I can't move. My face has been cut off. My visage has been cut off. I can't remember anybody's name. I'm out of my fucking mind. I'm throwing up every 20 minutes. <laughs> it's like, fuck this. My, weight, my muscles are wasting away. I'm, I, I'm a shell of a person and I'm going to leave a bunch of debt for my wife. So you get dark and you're like, fuck, I'm glad I got rid of those guns. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I'm the yeah. least suicidal dude ever, but yeah. I've never seen such darkness. Well, when I saw you at the show, um, one amazing thing that I noticed immediately is you're very, uh, your spirits are high. I try. And yeah. And, yeah. you know, I couldn't even imagine. And, and everybody has their small problems. You know, and they seem large until you hear somebody's problems like yours. And then you go like, oh, man, I don't have shit, you know. So when I was talking to you, I was like, God, this guy's gone through fucking hell. And he's in a great festive mood. And you weren't even feeling well that oh, yeah. day. And, and there you are, play, rocking a whole lot of Rosie. <laughs> and the Siegelman yeah. played an opening set, yeah, you know. Yeah. So... I, I really, uh, I really looked at you and and looked up to you at that moment of like, God, that's just. Uh, uh, I, I think about that. I came home and I was like, man, I don't have it, my, anything I have going on ain't shit. But it's true. But it, you do, and that's the other thing too is that there's like um, there's a weird thing you go through when you get super sick when you're dying, and the people around you know it. And they taught me a little bit about at the something I learned about um, the way people project. They can, they can, they can, uh, they can uh, sort of simplify your issues by want, wanting to, not knowing how to, how to deal with them. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but I really appreciate your angle on it. That's great, and I try and have the best. I'm like, I learned my buddy Kevin, who's a you know, longtime Angelino punk dude, who was in a terrible wreck and got hurt in Iraq and stuff, but he's sort of my pain advocate, the guy who sort of really sort of showed me how to manage stuff without painkillers and Take, you know, how to meditate the right way, you know, and he's the one that told me the not complaining, just explaining thing. But I feel like having good vibes and a good sense of um, where you're trying to go and trying to be positive about the situation and not wallowing is the number one way to stay alive. I believe that too. 100%. I mean, that's the old, old saying, you know, 
positive energy. My buddy Brody Stevens would say, you know, positive energy. And I always say promote what's great, not what you hate. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to get into dark holes, especially when you're in Los Angeles and it's a a scorecard is all around you at all times. Everywhere you go. There's just scorecards. And, uh, it's amazing. It's totally scorecards. It's like, fuck if I could just do as well as that guy. I believe in some professional jealousy, um, for drive, for drive, for drive, but but positive professional yeah. jealousy. I believe, like, 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 there's people yeah. that like make you want to go home and burn your instruments, or go home and burn your, you know, right. your microphone, or whatever, burn your camera, whatever it is. There's people that make you want to go home and burn whatever it is that you do. But those people push you forward, but in a healthy, good way. The people that are bitter about it are terrible. Yeah, and I've seen enough of that in being in the entertainment industry since I was a teenager to to know that that's like that's toxic. And worked with enough toxic people. You know, that, that I feel like being positive is really, really, really important. And people always like laugh about that. But I just, because comedy, I write comedy for a living. I make funny movies. You know, I hang out with comedians and funny people. And I think laughing and being funny is, and, pe- and I'm like, I encourage people to make fun of me within, within reason. You know, you know, and I think that that's okay. But I think having a positive mental attitude has really helped me. It was, it was really, it's really easy to get dark. Even the last three weeks, I've been so sick. Um, cause fuck it. That's whenever I see people talk about COVID not being a big deal. I'm like, dude, go take a look at my uh, x-rays of my lungs right now. Cause I got COVID at Christmas and it scarred the shit out of my lungs. I'm, that's why I was having so much trouble the other night. Again, I'm not complaining, but that's what my surgery tomorrow is to do is to try and alleviate that. So I can start breathing again, which is why, like, which is why it was hard for me to get up your fucking driveway. <laughs> I do to here. I am like, I feel strong. Like I fucking feel strong. And like, I try and stay in shape as much as I can given the yeah. circumstances. And here I am like walking up your front steps, like a fucking 90 year old dude. Not that there's anything wrong with being 90. I, that happened to me when I got COVID for like three months, I, I, I go to the gym every day and then I was like, oh, you know what? I better not go to the gym for a while. Like I was like, oh, work out. And, 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 but it was doing worse to me. I was just like oh, faded and, and out of gas all the time. I was in a period of darkness so bad, like about a month ago where I was like, you know, my breathing wasn't improving. They were, couldn't get to the bottom of it. We, we had three surgeries that we pushed off because I wasn't well enough to get worked on. When you're not well enough to get surgery, you're fucked. So we were pushing shit off and I thought, I never thought I'd, I never thought I'd go to the snow again. I grew up, you know, in the Bay area, going to Tahoe all the time in Vancouver, going to Whistler my whole life. I grew up in the snow and I loved it so much. And a friend of mine in London died of cancer a month and a half ago, Andrew Lloyd Weber's son. He's actually, I'm friends with his brothers um, and been working on a project with those guys, um, you know, just writing some jokes for them. And, uh, and he passed away and we were working on this project that had this bear in it and just like, it's, it's a long story, but I was like, I'm going to go to Big Bear with his photo and I'm going to put that photo in his hand at the, at, the, at the summit. And so I went up there to do it and it was like 50 mile an hour winds white out. So I went all the way to the top and man, when you can't breathe, 9,000 feet is brutal. Oh God. So I hiked over there, took the chair all the way up, dragged my snowboard and I never thought I'd snowboard again in my life. And it took me 40 minutes, dude, to walk from the car to the chair. It's just like... But I did it, threw up a couple times in the snow on the way down. But I got over there and it was too blasted out to do it. So I was like, I promise. I was in the camera, I was like, I promise I'll do it again. So I went up 10 days later and it was sunny and I got the shot. But that process led me back to, to going to the snow. And I was like, checked with my doctors, like, was this okay? And they're like, if you can survive, you know, fine. It's good oh. for you. But it brought so much joy to my life to go back to the mountain and slide to the bottom that even though I wasn't physically fit enough to do it, it saved my fucking life again. And I just have to have my life saved like every couple months when shit gets super dark 
just whatever, like that show with you guys, jamming with my friends, whatever it is, you know, or like my kids, whatever. It's just, that's the, that's the wherever you can get, suck the, the positive mental attitude juice from, got to get it. Let's celebrate some of your uh, amazing uh, accomplishments in life. A lot of animation, a lot of great, great work. Uh, you grew up in the Bay Area? Where at? I grew up, well, I grew up in Vancouver. Oh, yeah. And then I went to the Bay Area at a very young age. At a very young age, I was super into making movies and shit. And I was playing music and making movies. And I wound up doing the first ever CG TV show called Reboot in Vancouver, which was like first ever computer animated TV show. And I left that show after like four episodes. I was like, later, because I, I met John Lasseter and Steve Jobs and those guys. And they were doing Pixar. And that's when there was like 70 people there and nobody knew what it was. Pixar sounded like some 80s like computer nerd term. But I knew what they were doing. They flew me down there and I saw the first 10 seconds of Toy Story and they were like, you want to do this? I was like, fuck yeah. Wow. So I moved to the Bay, like 20, whatever, one or whatever. Where were we at? Like, uh, I lived like, the Mission. Oh, wow, the Mission. I lived the Mission. Yeah. 17th and Guerrero for like okay, 10 years. Okay, before we go any further, <laughs> I go El Farolito. What is it for you? I think El Farolito is pretty fucking good, dude. <laughs> I think the taquerito on the taqueria on the corner of 16th and Guerrero is gone now. Yeah, but that place was the best, and I was a kilowatt local, and obviously the 500. A kilowatt, club. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know they got different owners now, but Peter, the owner, and a bunch of my friends worked there, and I, we're all skateboarders, so yeah. you know, we're all skateboarders. Did, did you ever go to uh, uh, Guerrero's place and Tony and uh, those guys? Oh, yeah. Their shop there on. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and they, I lived right. I lived right above Sacred Rose Tattoo and Al's Comics. That wow. apartment. I had the big. Neon sign outside my place. Yeah, so was, this is early Pixar. I was at Pixar when there's 75 people. I left, there was 2,500 people. And it was wow. Like, so you did Toy work. Story? I did Toy Story, Toy Story 2. I did... Uh, All computer-generated animation, right? Yeah, but I mean, everything's done by hand. It's like it's still, you still draw all the storyboards and design it all with drawings and everything. And then once it's a model, then we sort of like po pose the character through time. Um, you know, and I was an animator and a story, I did story development on Toy Story 2, helped develop that, pitched it to Greenlight, but Toy Story 2 worked on A Bug's Life, Finding Nemo, and then Incredibles. I worked on the beginning of Incredibles, and then I sold a show to MTV. I wanted to go direct yeah. and, and stuff, so I was doing story and animation, and I remember Steve Jobs, before he died, being like, just be patient, you'll get a chance. I was like, I'm going to be fucking, I'm going to be 30 before I get to direct a movie. What an <laughs> asshole. You know, Steve was so patient with me, and he was a great mentor and a great dude to us. Wow. He was awesome. Um, a really great guy. I saw him just before he died backstage at Comic-Con at Hall H. I was about to go on stage and speak in front of 10,000 people. I had a movie coming out. I was, I was standing there with Megan Fox, I think, or something, and I saw Steve, and he was just a bag of bones, and it fucking rattled me. And he was like, good for He's like, what are you going to say when you get up there? I was like, I'm not sure yet. He's like, good there, that a boy. You know, like, got to yeah, wing yeah. it, bro. Yeah. And, uh, and he patted me on the back, and I was... Pretty amazing. When I got cancer, I knew I had cancer and I was listening to a doctor and two people in my life from Pixar, a guy named Glenn McQueen, who Lightning McQueen, the car and cars is named after, yeah, yeah. who was my mentor and supervising animator on the Toy Story movies um, when I was a kid. And Steve Jobs were the two people in my life that had cancer sort of stuff going on and didn't f hit it soon enough and didn't act soon enough and it took their lives. That was Steve Jobs' thing, right? Yeah, he just didn't... Did he not believe in it, or was he doing he homeopathic? I think he went a little bit homeopathic at first. And um, I think he went a bit homeopathic at first. And, uh, and I can't speak to that, because I wasn't talking to him about his condition. I left before he got cancer. And when I did run into him again and see him, we, weren't, we were saying, hi, how are you not diving into you know, cancer specifics? But I've learned enough from talking to my other friends that are still in positions there and stuff about what went on. And I can't speak to it. 
But I, but I, what I do think is that he was very into diet and homeopathic stuff, and he was into a lot of alternative stuff. And I think he went that way just in the very beginning. And then by the time, you know, pancreatic cancer is fast. Yeah. There's two kinds of, they, they say there's the good kind of pancreatic cancer that turns into the bad one. You know, there's no such thing. It's kind of a joke, but, but, uh, and Glenn McQueen uh, also died of cancer. And I, you know, I was speaking to his wife after I just let her know, I was like, there's ever any silver lining. It's that I learned from those guys not to make that mistake. And so I went full at it. You know, I was listening to this guy and I didn't take no for an answer and I went somewhere else and it saved my life. They were like, dude, you would have died in four months. Wow. Like, they got four months to live. What are you gonna yeah. do? So they were like, you know, my wife's super pregnant. They're like, do you wanna ride it out? Or do you wanna go through this crazy punishing process and maybe not survive? And my wife and I decided to do it. But, but it's like, and I kept it hidden because you know, you work, you got an agent, you got managers, you oh, got yeah. all these people. If you tell people you got a debilitating you're disease, fucking you're done. fucking done. You're done. And so I kept it to myself for months while I'm struggling away. And you know, the, you know, the you got, you know, Youth Brigade, yeah. the band Youth Brigade, those guys, the Stearns brothers are like close family of mine. And, um, and you know, the, you know, they do punk rock bowling and they, you know, they do so much for the punk rock community and they're such great people. And they're very close friends. And Mark Stern was like, dude, you have to, you have any platform at all, you have to tell people. You have to use this in a positive way. And you have to come out, you have to come out and tell people what's going on. Because you've lost half your face and you have a whole bunch of people follow your stuff, you know, whatever, the people that you know. And also the platform of the people that are around you. You need to make this, you, you know, you need to do something about this and go forward. And they're the ones that set up this GoFundMe because we're, you know, we're losing everything, you know. And, yeah. uh, and our lives are falling apart and we're just shoveling everything we can at medical stuff. And it was like, dude, you have to tell people. So I came forward and said, hey, man, I thought I had minor skin cancer and it almost killed me. Um, go get yourself checked out. Wear your fucking sunscreen. Get your boobs checked out. Get your butthole checked out. Get yeah. your balls checked out. Go to the fucking doctor. And don't be like me. Don't be a I fool. trip on people that don't, you know. It's like, bananas. I was just talking to my buddy a couple of days ago. He's fucking going to be 60. I go... Dude, you haven't got a fucking colonoscopy yet. He goes, yeah, going to do it for my 60th birthday. I'm like, I, I can't tell people anymore. I'm like, you don't understand. If they find that early, you can beat it. Yeah. But these people that won't, you, you know, don't find that they early, don't get yeah. finger up their butt. They don't go get colonoscopy. They don't get their skin checked. That's literally balls. a bummer if you it's, don't get that done. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know? I haven't been able to get a colonoscopy. I got one coming up because, because I've been getting PET scans. Yeah. Like nuclear PET scans. Yeah. Which are bananas. Those things are amazing. But they, that's the ones where they look at the sugar enzymes or something. Listen to me talking like a fucking doctor. And they can see disease coming. They're like, really? you're going to get emphysema if you don't, you know, you're going to get this. No yeah, shit, Yeah, huh? PET scans are amazing. Wow. They scan your entire body. Like, it takes a couple of hours. And they shoot you full of all this different stuff. Uh-huh. Like it's the purple dye and shit? Yeah, it's the super sci-fi stuff. It's got the nuclear symbols everywhere. Wow. Super amazing. But they, they wanted to see if the tumors on the inside had reached my brain before we started... Right, yeah, because so, they, they, you're gone. Yeah, then, right? they just were like, we don't want to waste the rest of the last three, four months of your life. If, yeah. You know, they don't want to waste your time if yeah. you've got a precious time left. So we were at that point. Those scans are such a bummer where you're like, oh my how God. long is the results going to take? They're like, yeah, it's a long weekend. So Whoa. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I just had a cancer scan a couple of weeks ago on one of my main physicians, and he's a great dude and deserves a vacation, but he was away on vacation, and I had to wait all week. And we get back, and oh, you're like, fuck. he's like, sunning himself in white. You're like, I'm waiting. But I mean, these people got to live, and you do want your guy to do it. So yeah. But so cancer scans become a way of life. What was it with the animation with you? Early with me was, um, of course, claymation, Gumby. 
Oh, yeah, I love it. Art Cloakie, man. Master. Yeah, yeah Gumby and Poke. I went over to the place in Sausalito where they used to do it. Yeah, Art Cloakie know, Studio, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I went there. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. weird to watch, man. They had like 50 Gumbies. They had little Gumby molds. Yeah. And they just make a Gumby instantly there. And, and they use Vaseline uh, on the eyes so they can move it real quick yeah, all yeah, around. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm there I am in the place where they make fucking Gumby and Pokey, you know? <laughs> so rad. But it's that. And then it's, of course, the Hanna-Barbera, the you yeah, know, yeah. Flintstones all and all here, that. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff. I love that stuff. And then it was, you know, still right now at 57. And I just... I just have not been able to tap it, but I've always wanted to be a cartoon voice. And, you know, people are always like, you got that voice. And I'm like, oh, you do. You had a great voice. It, it, well, it's weird to how competitive that is. You know, there's these, you know, when we were fucking growing up, it was just Billy Bob, Jim, and, and Sam did these voices. Now it's Brad Pitt, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And, and fucking Angela Jolie and, and Jack Black and, they they just said this is easy money. I can do it in my underwear at home. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's really competitive. And, but- and you know, on the movie front, you know, because I when I directed Horton Hears a Who, it was like that was a, one of those ones where because I just done Robots with Chris Wedge, and we now that's the first thing I did on that was rewrite all Robin Williams dialogue. Yeah, it was my first job on that show. Robin Williams. Yeah, I rewrote Robin's dialogue on a red eye flying to New York, and the head of the studio at the time was now. The guy that, you know, largely in charge of Universal, but he called me, I can't remember what year it was, maybe 05 or something, and he called me and he said, you know, we're sending a script over to you right now. We'd had a meeting, we'd had a talk, and I didn't realize that like two days later he was going to put me on a plane and send me to New York. And so he's like, can you, go to, can you go to New York tonight and write on the plane? And then they land, I went straight to the soundstage and gave in the pages. Wow. So I rewrote all his dialogue the night on the plane. And it worked. And so I was only supposed to be out there for a couple of weeks. That turned into six, turned into eight. Next thing you know, I was directing scenes on the movie. And, you know, Chris Wedge and I became friends. And he wound up producing my next couple, you know, couple movies with me. So uh, it was wild. That first Robots movie, that was like, oh, it was like Mel Brooks. Yeah. And uh, so the cast on that movie was bananas. It was huge. So then when I, you know, I got the opportunity to do Horton Here's a Who um, to do the voices you know, the first person we went and talked to was Jim Carrey, who I still, I mean, I talked to him like last week. I just, wow. Yeah, Jim's great. He's and just the best. I, a, I met him um, at the Bob Saget uh, yeah, yeah, memorial. Yeah. He's great, dude. It was the first time I had met him, you know, and we have a, a mutual friend. So it was wild to see. He has not done stand-up in, you know, I don't know, 30 years or something. But there he is oh, riffing yeah. in the main room of the comedy store where the Jim Carrey was born, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. And to see it, I guess, I guess just, like, it's just a character. I, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, this guy <laughs> has it. Oh, he's amazing. You know, yeah. It's been 30 years and he's in there like, I said, and he's doing, he's winging shit. Oh, you're yeah. like, wow. He's wearing, oh, he was wearing a full fur, fur jacket and I guess sweet jacket. And he goes, yeah. And this is when that Beatles doc came out. He goes, yeah, George Harrison. You know, I was like, I got to get a fur jacket. He's got, <laughs> he got a full fucking fur jacket on. Interesting side note with the animation is he and I just did two projects. Um, over the summer and I was in and out of surgery but he stuck with me and he's just gifted musically he's just a super talented yeah so so he so I'm on zoom with him and his and his amazing producer Lina and and uh and he's like hey have you seen these have you seen my paintings I'm like yeah I've seen him he's like what do you think of this one and his assistant's holding up this 11 foot tall painting of a nude red-haired guy standing in front of a lighthouse it's like nine feet tall and about this wide about two feet wide. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. He's like, what do you think about bringing this to life? 
He's like, I like the idea of NFTs as art, not as a money-making machine, but as a way for someone else to own his art, but add things to it. So we just start, we set out to make his, turn his paintings into live, a living thing. So my friend Mark Wells and I, who's a great musician who works with me at my studio and is a great dude, we're just hanging out and I was like, check this out. So Jim's like, yeah, I wrote this poetry. Angels come, da 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 He's just reading me this, this, this poetry that he wrote for this lighthouse keeper standing nude in a gale. It's amazing. I was like, can you do that in four? Yeah. One and two and three and four and one and two. Because and, he was doing it kind of in three. And he was like, yeah, I can do that. I was like, go do it in your phone, in your phone in a quiet room. And he did it, shipped it back to me. And Mark and I sat down. And we, we like playing Irish trad music and stuff too. So we had mandolin, banjo, flat pick guitar. I played Irish whistle on it. And Mark composed a couple pieces and did a mandolin part. We packaged it together, stuck his voice on top of it. I did a quick storyboard and I shipped it back to him. I was like, what do you think of this? And he was like, that's amazing. So he, he sang, I doubled it and did the men's chorus and we did all traditional Irish instruments and we made this short film with Cage Claypool, Les Claypool's son worked yeah, on it with yeah, me. Yeah, I saw Cage, yeah. Yeah, so Cage worked on it too because he's, he's a really talented artist and I sent it back and so Jim and I went back and forth and then I went off to surgery and he was, wasn't sure what he was going to do with it. We did another one that it's another story and then he was like, I don't want to deal with the MT, you know, the NFT market is whatever it is. Yeah, that not tanked very real quick. Yeah, yeah, not very popular. Bitcoin, you don't hear about it at yeah, all. Yeah, exactly, dude. Like, think about Eminem, he bought that monkey for a million dollars or whatever. Like, what are you doing? You know, that NFT oh, yeah. monkey? What the, <laughs> the fuck? The board chimp? Yeah. Can you imagine that million dollars right now just into uh, your fucking GoFundMe? <laughs> please send me your board yeah, chimp. Fuck your that, board, your fuck board, that board chimp. So Jim hits me up and he's like, I'm leaving Twitter. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to use this cartoon we made as my sign off. Oh, yeah. So if you go to his Twitter right now, uh -huh. it's that. This is a parting shot. And so, like, Rogan brought it up with, like, all those guys on the show. They're like, I'm going to say goodbye with this cartoon I made with my friend Jimmy Hayward. It was just kind of, like, all over the world for, like, two days. Wow. People are all mad that, you know, either, you know, he's polarizing. I think he's a genius. Yeah, I think he's one of the great. I do too. Great comedy geniuses and one of the great, great film actors. The second Andy Kaufman, you know, like you got Andy Kaufman. Yeah. And uh, super genius could never do Andy Kaufman now. There's just no way he could do that because whenever somebody tries to do it, you just go like, "Oh, he's just doing Andy Kaufman." It's like they broke the Kaufman mold. He fucking made. He broke the mold on that. Like, and then when Jim Carrey comes around, anybody that does fucking stuff like that now, I'm like, "Oh well, we saw the greatest Jim Carrey do that." 100%. You know, the stuff from the movies, the stuff from uh, you know Fire Marshal Bill. Oh my and, god. And and then Spotless Mind, Eternal. You know. Oh my god. That's, that's one of the greatest films He's ever made. He's a great made. dramatic actor. Yeah. So we're, so we're casting that. Look at us going full circle. So we're casting that movie. And the two executives and the president, Chris Melodondri and John Cohen, great casting guys. I mean, they, every movie those guys make, they cast great. But I got to put my two bits in. And Steve Carell came on board. So we had Jim Carrey and Steve Carell as the mayor in Horton. And, you know, and, uh, and I was getting fired up. But I was like, I want Carol Burnett. Yeah. I grew up watching Carol Burnett. Jim grew up watching Carol Burnett. So I pitched the idea to him. He was like, oh, yeah. He's yeah. like, I, when I was a kid, I wrote a letter. I can't, I can't remember. I think yeah. I'm not going to do it justice. But he's like, I wrote a letter to the Carol Burnett show. And I got uh, a My mom came into the room. And she goes, James, I've got a, we got a, a letter from NBC. Or whatever. I think it was NBC. Yeah. Dear Jim, we are sorry to inform you that... We don't want your stuff, basically. Thank you very much, but go away. Wow. And, he was like, and he was like, 
I got a response from NBC from the Kale Burnett show. He was like super pumped. He was like, wow. I was on like cloud nine for a year from his rejection letter. <laughs> but she came on the cast and he and I would have like, we would work with her and sit at lunch like with her and just listen to her tell us stories like go to comedy school. But we had such a great cast. We had Jonah Hill, oh, Seth wow. Rogen. Oh, wow. We had, uh, we had so many good people on that movie. Um, Will Arnett played Vlad. He was, and he, he and I had worked together a couple times. And, uh, and Amy Poehler. Just so many great comedy voices on that movie. And in those instances, if you work with those people the right way, then they really earn their keep. You know, if you work with a great person, because we, we can write good jokes or write good scenarios, but I, I get in the room and I play the actor against, like play the other characters against them. It's just the two of us in there. Right. So we can work, shape the tempo. On the VO. Yeah. Yeah. And rather than sit behind the glass, like the, you know. Yeah. It? Try it again. Yeah. To talk back. Yeah. Uh, let's try that again a little yeah. slower. Uh, you are out of character. You're, um, you're, you're so, out of character. Yeah, exactly. So I sit in the room, and Jim and I would go for hours and hours and hours and hours. And the best shit stuff in the movie is always from those sessions yeah. where you drive off it and you let, them, let, the, let the talent really come out. I mean, that's what's great about working with great comedians and really just really good actors in general. And there are stunt situations where... Big time actors do these things and they phone it in and it sucks. Yeah. You know, and that's a bummer. But I think that I do remember when I left Pixar and I sold a show to MTV, we were working on the pilot that actually never got finished all the way. It was like me, Will Sasso. Oh, Will. I love Will. Yeah, old school friend. I love oh, him. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. great. He's one of the greatest ever. Yeah. He's, he's one of the uh, guys, first guys I met when I started stand up. Really? Yeah. He's, he's an incredible physical comedian, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just. I mean that fucking that dudesy shit they're doing right now. I went. I, I remember I went in for uh, Curly for the for the three students. Oh, did you? And he went in, and I, you know, I felt like I really killed it, you know. And uh, and then he, he 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 hit me and he goes, I I already have it, you know. It's just <laughs> I, I guess they're just looking at other people. <laughs> Sorry. You didn't have any chance. <laughs> you didn't have. You didn't have a chance. But it was, uh, you know, it was fun. It was funny to see. That was Fairly Brothers, right? What's that? That was Fairly. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I worked on a movie with them, which I tried to get Will on, um, called Freebirds. It was an animated oh, movie yeah. that I wrote. I wrote with Scott Mosier. You know that dude, Scott Mosier. That he he produced all Kevin Smith's movies, and he's a great writer and director. He's an awesome, dude. Um, and then he produced it, and I directed it. But it was. It was uh, Fairly Brothers were sort of e earlier EPs on the movie, and we had some meetings with them. And I, they, those guys are hilarious around like audience test screens. <laughs> pretty yeah. amazing. That was uh, um, that was um, that was a pretty cool cast in that movie too. Do you know who Dan Fogler is? Yeah, oh yeah. Dan Fogler. I'm actually I actually was supposed to talk to him this morning. He's a great dude. He's been a voice in a bunch of my movies, and that guy's one of the best. I went the Val Kilmer route. I had heard about. The Three Stooges movie. So he immediately shaved my head, shot my own scenario of Curly in 2000, uh, what years? Let's say it's uh, 18. And uh, Curly goes in to see his manager, and, and, and the manager's like, dude, what are you doing out there? You, you, Curly's out clubbing. You know, you're all fucked up at the clubs. You're fighting. And I sent it in, and they called me in the next day. Oh, wow. They're like, hey, can you come in tomorrow? And I was like, yeah. And uh, it was amazing. I went in twice. And Did you meet with Pete and Bobby right away? Yeah. That's oh, yeah. Great. I, but then they had different heights because the Stooges were small. Yeah. I never knew this. They were small dudes. And so I was like, you know, they had me with uh, some other guys that were short, you know. And then, you know, Will Sasso's giant. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, they just went with what, you know, I, 
they, I don't think they worried about the size, but it was an interesting thing for me. And, uh, it, it felt good, you know, to just go for it myself. I had no Dude, agent, no manager. I had somebody fucking send wow. it to him. Yeah. Still don't have an agent or a manager. So you got to, really? yeah, you got to kind of create your own shit that you can get going. Good for you. Oh, uh, no, not good. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I didn't hear what got you into the animation. Oh, well, I was always, when I was a little kid, I was like, I was fascinated with movies like a nerd, like we all are, but I was really obsessed with it. And I was like, I remember I watched like um, the CBC, like would have Sunday cinema. I watched like, you know, Ben-Hur and Samson and Delilah and fucking all those. Oh yeah, like, that shit. Like Spartacus, like just any movies that were on, like old horror movies. It's like all old classic kind of stuff. But I would always watch, I was, every time The Good, The Bad and The Ugly was on, I was watch it like back to back. The to best. Back to, then we got video, we got like a laser display or whatever. And then I started being a religious maniac about movies. And I always loved animation, and I was always drawing like all over everything. So they thought I was like mentally, uh, mentally deficient. And then they realized I was just smart and bored. But I, but uh, I was drawing on everything. And I was into it. My mother got me a Fisher Price toy. It was like a, a camera. No, it was like a camera, but it was like a little um, little projector. And you put a yellow cartridge in it. It had a little eight millimeter film in it. You could click, 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 click. Oh yeah. Still frame it. And I had a Chuck Jones cartoon called Zipping Along with Roadrunner. Remember the Fisher Price with the cassettes? Yeah, the cassettes. Yeah, I had one of those things, yeah. and like a light bulb went off in my head, and that changed my life. And years later, that changed my life. And then I just started doing, going crazy, um, you know, learning about animation, learning about filmmaking. I saved up all my allowance money. I bought a book called Cinema of the Fantastic, and then I realized that's a job. People do this for a living. There's a thing about all the different directors and stuff. So then my grandmother, Barbara, had a little mini bike. She had a little motorbike in Vancouver, and she'd double me to second-run theaters, and she'd take me to any movie I wanted to see when I was like 11, 12, 13, 14. She's like, cinema's art, kid, whatever you want to see. So it's, take me to The Shining, you know, take me yeah. to second-run theaters. Yeah. I saw all these bananas movies, and, uh, and I just got totally obsessed with it. And then when I was uh, kind of in high school, I discovered the Amiga computer, and I was already doing hand-drawn animation and shooting live-action movies. I was doing all kinds of crazy stuff and drawing like crazy. But I discovered the Amiga computer, and... And nobody knew what that was. And I was like, this shit is fucking bananas. What is that? Like it's early a, it's a, PC? Yeah, it's like a PC that kind of came out in the 80s that was way ahead of its time. And you could do like 8-bit graphics on it. You could do music on it. In a very rudimentary way, they were way ahead of everybody. And they got kind of swallowed up and mismanaged and, and never really kind of took off. They kind of took off as a games machine in Europe and stuff. But the, they put out a thing called Deluxe Paint that would let you animate drawings. And then I figured out how to get video into it. And I started nerding out super hard. Wow. And there was no internet to learn. There was yeah. no nothing. No YouTube. I, yeah. So I, like, I modeled a human ear by triangulated points in space and learned how to fly a camera around it. I was just nerding out super hard. And I was in a store in Vancouver because my machine could only render the frames at a certain rate. So I talked the guys at the store that sold those computers into letting me put it on all their computers on the displays at night. And so I'd render all the stuff and I'd come in in the morning and I'd take, steal the frames back and I'd put it out to video. And I was in there watching the, this clip play up to the frame and there was this tall skinny dude named there. And he's like, well, look at this. I was like, that's mine. He's like, you're coming with me. Yeah. He was a producer. And <laughs> right after that, I was directing my first TV commercial. I was probably like... I guess 19, I did a national stereo company wow. commercial. It was all CG and shit. And then I met these guys from Reboot. And bang, 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 just kind of snowballed from Damn. there. I just worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Did that first TV show. Then I went to Pixar. Then I was there for 10 years nonstop. Started Pixar University. Were there cuts at Pixar? 
uh, on back end back then because look, we have cars at the fucking Disneyland. No. And- I mean, we got stock options. Yeah, which I used to to fund my career as a director. Yeah, because I didn't grow up with money. Yeah, like yeah. you yeah, know, we're either. all struggling. Yeah, yeah, and so I didn't have a dad in the game. I was yeah. Irish Canadian kid, and nobody. I didn't know anybody in the business. So I had to like I had to get between projects. I had to survive. Yeah, you know, I get and buy it, equipment, man. buy yeah. edit, editing equipment. I always call everything in this house parachutes. <laughs> like I, I, I sell that over there. I got another oh, yeah. four months of comedy. That's what I just. That's what I've been doing. Yeah. I've, I've, parachutes. I got my medical parachutes. Yeah, we sold. I sold my sold people, my motorcycles. Are like, How'd you sell all your guitars? How could you do that? I go, oh, because I've been doing comedy yeah, yeah. for thirteen that's years, I, and it's fucking worth it. That's what I've been doing. I don't need shit laying around here. <laughs> I want to be on stage. When I asked you if you collected vinyl, you're like, I went fully minimal, dude. Yeah, I that's sold all the vinyl. That's a comedy right there. (laughs) Exactly, man. Everything gone and cluttered house, cluttered mind. Absolutely. That's what we're trying to work. And so being sick and stuff, it's been really hard to, whenever we have a breathing moment, my wife Dasha and I pull pull it together and and figure some selling tools, shit we can't use anymore. Just anything we can sell that's not nailed down, sort of sell. But I think, but so I got super into that and I was... And then, you know, I was do, always doing live action stuff, you know, like I directed that, that Western over at Warner Brothers, you know, I, I'm always shooting live action stuff. I work with bands like, you know, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen this, some of the stuff I've done with like Justin or I did. Have you ever seen the Christmas, the Christmas video with Justin the Christmas movie? No, it's like a four minute film. He's got this new pedal with Dunlop uh-huh. and Adam, Adam Jones had just put out this amazing video for his new guitar. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know and, that. And, uh, so everybody was looking at that and Justin was like, and uh, Justin's a very close friend of mine yeah. and we've done stuff together. I did, I did a new thing for his, for his band empty void. And uh, he called me and he was like, mate, yeah. I really got, I got this new pedal coming out. I really got to make something amazing. And, and he's got this wah pedal that him and the Dunlop guys have been working on for three years. Wow. I mean, they're so meticulous, those guys. The tool yeah. guys are so, yeah. you know, they do they take such care with everything. Fucking that's why they take their guys. fucking time. You know, and so he's been working on this pedal. He's like, I really want to do something amazing. But Justin's a really funny guy. You know, in the band, he's mysterious and he's a quiet dude, but he's a fucking hilarious yeah. dude. I and tried so, to get him on the podcast. I know. I tried to get him on today. I tried to get him to come with me because he's coming over to my house right after. Yeah, what's going on with that? Hey, you know. I'm going to bust his balls. There's a few people I've asked in my life, and it's hilarious because I already know it's a, a, a subtle way of saying no is they don't say anything. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> I go, man, I've been, I would love to have you and, and, and Danny on the podcast, you know? And he's like, it's going to be a good gig tonight, huh? And it's just like, just fucking sidestepped <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Mike Patton style, too. Mike Patton's like one yeah. of my old, o- oldest favorites and, you know, grew up in the Bay Area, you know? And I, I saw Mike and I go, I, I already know the answer, but I would kick myself if I didn't an- ask. And you never know, man. Once in a while, like John Mayer just hit me up one yeah. day and he's like, I haven't done an interview in seven years. I'll come by tomorrow. Love it. And it's like, good for him. Yeah, right? Well, I threw that at Justin today just because I know he's been doing more social media and stuff like that yeah. recently. And, uh, and you never know. So I threw it out there because I thought it'd blow your mind too if I just showed up. And I was like, we got another guest. Yeah. You know, it would have sunk my battleship, but I don't care. It's all in the name of good, good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and he did that. Yeah. I was like, hey, do, just in case you want to do this. And it was, we've been going back and forth and it was silence. I was like, you don't need to worry about that, but let's figure. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he's, he, but he called me and he said, I want to do this thing. And I said, how does it make you feel that you've got this thing coming? I was like, oh, I feel like a kid at Christmas. I was like, I'll call you back. Yeah. So I wrote the script, storyboarded it. Um, again, Cage worked on the storyboards with me. Cage Claypool. Love that dude. And uh, I sent the storyboards back over to him. And, uh, uh, and we shot this. 
we shot at his house with a crew of about 30. It was a big production. I had tumors all in my face. Wow. So I was about to go get my face amputated. So we knew I had cancer when we shot it. And Justin was like, do you want to... His dog died that morning. Oh. The morning of the shoot, his, his lovely dog. Oh, my Otis God. Otis had passed away that morning. They had to put him to sleep. And he was like, do you want to just shelve it? And I was like, no, let's fucking do this. Yeah. We have to band together and we have to... Oh, yeah. We have to band together. We had the crew. Everybody's ready to go. We'd written it. It's got a lot of visual effects. And we shot this thing where it's like a traditional kind of Christmas. Co- it's like a Coca-Cola commercial from the 90s kind of thing. It's like every child's imagination at Christmas. You know, it's like full yeah. on. Santa coming down yeah, the fucking, yeah. So like the house is decorated. These smooth, dreamy camera moves. And like, and every child's dream is a little different. And you, you see this little child. And it's um, actually Nick Hexum from 311. It's his two daughters played Justin's body. They're like, they're like little kids wearing full red Santa PJs kind of thing. And you just see the kid's body run over to open the gift. And the gift opens and it cuts. And it's Justin with a full-size, with a full-size man's head and a little kid's body. He's like, fuck me, mom. Look what Santa brought me. And you cut to his mom. And it's Justin and dressed like an old lady from like a 70s British comedy show. He's like, oh, that Santa's a generous bugger. And he's like, look at this, mom. And he starts fucking ripping on the bass and lights the house on fire and burns the Christmas tree down. Oh, my God. And it came out great, and people loved it. Is it on YouTube? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. I'm going to watch that. Oh, yeah, that. there's two. There's one version that's got credits that are super funny and one that doesn't. But so um, we do stuff like that together, you know, in between surgery and sickness and illness. Like, And then right after we shot that, I went in and got, went in for, I was gone almost a year, and they waited. Wow. I was gone a year in intensive care and I got out long enough and, we, and I edited it. My wife moved the editing equipment into my bedroom. So I just like lay in bed, like wow. shivering and I get up and I cut a bit. Wow. I go back to bed and I get up and I cut a bit and that kept me alive. Wow. So I thank Justin for that, man. Uh-huh. I, am doing, um, I am doing a cool project coming up with Les. Okay. And, and his son, uh, Cage Claypool. So we're working on a project together. We've been working on for a little while, and uh, we're pretty excited about it. <laughs> I'll cut that out if you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can leave that part in. I mean, okay. I like people to get fired up. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, people don't know about the, the, the specifics. All right. Let's give everybody where um, we can find this GoFundMe. I have it on the uh, YouTube channel, Whole Lot of Rosie. My YouTube channel, The Whole Lot of Rosie. If you clip on that, uh, click on the clip, it's in there. Also, I've been constantly putting it on my D, uh, on my stories in Instagram. Well, we can't thank you enough for that. Yeah, man. and also on uh, Twitter. Now, it will also be attached to this episode today, and that you can click on the GoFundMe, and it tells his whole story there. There's some uh, photos there that are are pretty intense. And uh, do you have a uh, name of the GoFundMe? I think it's Help Jimmy Hayward Kick Cancer to the Curb. One other thing we're doing for everybody, I think there's a thing called Closet um, that the guys are doing. I'll send you the links for it. C-L-O-S-I-T. Yeah, so there's a... There's a there's S- a, two eyes. Two eyes, yeah. And this thing, we'll, we'll, I'll give you the links because it's coming up, but yeah. um, one of the guys that makes the guitars that I play and a lot of us, a lot of us play is a guy named Sasha Dunnable. He donated a handmade bass and a handmade guitars. Guitars are thousands of dollars, and there's a waiting list for them. They're amazing. Um, he donated two of those. Everybody signed it. All the tool guys, the Primus yeah. guys, everybody signed it. We got those. We got posters. Yeah, I signed um, the posters. And, and some, some drum heads and stuff, because we want people to... Yeah. So we're going to have an auction for those starting in a Amazing week. merch, too. Yeah. Uh, the stuff. Is that going to be available again? People I don't are asking. Know. We'll find out. That we'll f- stuff was great from yeah, the yeah. show. Oh, yeah, yeah. The merch was killer. 
And I mentioned that your band, The Siegelman, opened, and that is with Brent Hines and everything. You have a a record out, and how did The Siegelman happen? The Legend of The Siegelman was... um, I loved it, by the way. It was so wild. It came from our singer, David Dreyer. He had a version of that kind of band. It was different music, and uh, but it's same the kind of idea. This like sort of nautical superhero, nautical weird kind of amalgamation of stuff. And he had me write a song for them, and he just kind of he was kind of unsure where he was going with it and stuff. So I jumped in, and then we conceived a whole universe of stuff on top of it, and sort of like streamlined it and streamlined the idea. Brought in Danny, um, and then we brought in you know Brent. Brent, Brent, and I went and played guest spots with with him with the other part version of it in Florida. And from there, it was like, let's do this. Yeah. So I joined in and um, Danny joined and me, Brent and him. And we brought in Pete Griffin, the bass player. Who's yeah, he's great. An amazing guy. I didn't even recognize him because he cut his hair. And he's all, I haven't seen you in a long time. We were doing those bake jams. And I was like looking at him like, you know, when you see somebody and it'd been years, like, you know, maybe four years or something. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, wait a minute. I know who you are. Like, yeah. you know, his hair was cut and it had been years. Yeah, you follow, you, you had a couple of Kenny Loggins branches on the way down, like, yeah. you know, to his new look. Yeah, yeah. His little leather jacket <laughs> I stuff. Love I love it. Pete. He's the best. Um, and he's like one of the greatest bass players in the world. Unbelievable. He's amazing. So, and then the amazing um, orchestral uh, composer, Dom Lewis, um, who's like, you know, the guy just did Bullet Train and lots of great movies. Um, he and I are close friends. We did a movie together. And so he does our orchestral stuff. So it's a great group of people. And, you know, I, I had a great, you know, recorded it between my place and, and Danny's, Danny's studio. And, uh, you know, we put that band together and it was a labor of love. And we love the label and we owe them another record. We, we, we wrote a whole second album with the material and we all started recording tracks for it. And then I got sick. Oh, shit. So we just started cracking those open again. Um, and it was exciting having done that, you know, because at the last minute, I didn't well, know if I was going to be well enough to even play a whole lot of Rosie. Yeah. I was touch and go because I've been so sick. And Les and I were talking, but me and Lur were like, Lur's like, you got to sit in on a tune with us, man. Yeah. So we were trying to pick a tune, and then Les called me. I guess he talked to you, and he's like, Admiral, we're going to go with Colorado Rosie. What do you think about that? Yeah. Lur and I were joking on, t- we were joking. He's like, texted me. He's like, yeah, you can look up the tabs on, on the internet, bro. <laughs> but at that moment when we were playing, you know, Troy, Troy in, in rehearsal, when, when we were doing soundcheck, our rehearsal at soundcheck, yeah. one time only, um, Troy comes to me. He's like, all right, Admiral, you take the second solo from here. I was like, you know what, bro? I'm going to sing backups and I'm going to do the full Malcolm over here because I don't yeah. know if I can stand up, dude. Yeah. So if I can do that, I'm just going to do the full Malcolm. And I met Malcolm when I was a kid. Well, you did? Oh, yeah. So did I. Where'd you meet him? My sister dated him for a while. What? Yeah, my sister Marion dated what him. What the for, fuck yes. are you talking yeah, about? I met what him era? Uh, fly on the Wall. Fly on the Wall. That's that she was, she was hanging out with him for like two tours and a bunch in between and yeah. Whoa, yeah, where'd so they I, meet? Around here? I think they met. I think they met in Vancouver. Or probably oh, Vancouver. when he was doing the record. Yeah, I think they met in Vancouver when he was working with the Little Mountain guys. So she she dates Malcolm. So yeah. So when I was a kid, I was like fourteen, maybe or something, or thirteen, and I was in a band, and I told the guys in my band, like, you know, I told like a couple guys my band that you know I met the ACDC guys my sister was dating Malcolm and I and my, behind my back my bandmates were thought I was a liar yeah they were like full shit because we lived in fucking you know yeah. Canada and so that to whatever tour that was came around they were I met them when they were making that album they made they made two there and they're, they did two cycles then different and I remember I met them I went and saw them with you know as a guest at Tacoma um, and then I saw them then they played Vancouver and I told my band buddies I was like 
take, you know, don't be, be, be available to go on Saturday night. And they were like, they thought I was a liar up until the point where they had passes in their hands. Wow. And they were like standing there watching the big cannon going off. They were like, holy fuck. fuck. And then we went backstage, passed all the radio contest winners and shit back to the dressing rooms with fucking all access. And my sister comes out. He's like, she's like, hey. And uh, those guys are sober, chill, drinking yeah. tea, watching the, watching the news and stuff. But they were super nice dudes. Oh, they're so nice, so, right? Such nice dudes. And Malcolm was like, Taught me the importance of leaving open strings on chords and, you know, it's cool stuff. And, like, because I was always, he's my favorite one, you know? Damn. I always thought that dude was just a legend because I was a punk rock dude. And, yeah. And it just, like, him holding it down and writing such killer, simple stuff that just was simply complex, you know? And, uh, and then, you know, they split up. I, I hung out with them a couple times, you know? When you're 14 years old, a year and a half seems like 40 years. Of course. But, but now, you know, I look back, it was probably like a year and a half or so, or two years that they were That's hanging out. That's wild. Yeah, so I, I, I you know, I, they gave me stuff. You know, he gave me pics, he gave me passes and stuff. And I have, I have some photos and stuff that he signed, that they signed for me and stuff. Because I was 14, you know? I was like Fuck a yeah. little fanboy yeah. playing in a band, you know? I was like, dude, these guys are... And the main thing that I learned from those, from meeting Malcolm, and this changed my life, was that I thought these guys were gods. And when I met them and I got to hang out with them, my sister gave me that gift by introducing me to people in that universe. And I learned that they're just dudes. Yep. And anybody, anybody that can do it, if they work hard and they're talented. I know it sounds like bright-eyed and silly, but especially for somebody who's like struggling, it's a lot easier than believing in fucking God or something. Like, thanks for giving me cancer, God, and not you. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, you gave that boy leukemia? Good job. Yeah. You know, like, I can't believe in that shit. But I can believe in the fact that if you're, if you're really driven to do something, anybody can do it. And those guys showed me, these fucking tiny little guys from Australia, just blowing the minds off everybody in a stadium. And you go hang out with them, like, hey, how are you, mate? Oh, yeah. I know, man. They're the best dudes. I know. So that showed me, and I, as corny as that might sound, it just showed me that, that I, that I could be, that there's, you know, even though your dad's like, are you kidding? That's like trying to be in the Beatles, become a movie director. What are you talking about? And you're yeah. like, I can do it because those guys could be in ACDC. That's like me, man. I'm going <laughs> to start comedy at 47 years old. People are like, you're out of your mind. And here I am, 57. No, I started at 44. I'm 57 now. And I'm still rolling, Dude, man. there's no, there's, it's never too late. It isn't, it's man. It's never too late. And even though I was really, really young when my movie career, I mean, I got really far pretty young for somebody who, did, I didn't go oh, to school. Dude, you're working with Steve Jobs at Pixar. <laughs> I was 22 or whatever, yeah. Fucking nuts. And I didn't go to school, and I wound up teaching school. You know, we started Pixar University, and I started teaching, teaching just on the side, you know, we, but it was amazing. I was like, am I allowed to do this? Yeah. But I don't have an education. And I don't fucking feel like you need that either. I think you just need to go. I think more than ever you don't. But I think that's one of the great things about meeting those guys. And that's why this ACDC thing just keeps, you know, just even the last time I went out before I got cancer was hanging out with you there doing ACDC shit and then coming back to do ACDC. Everything I got is from ACDC. Isn't it crazy? It's so rad. It's I'm so wild. It's like the work ethic, yeah. Uh, dreams, yeah. uh, love of rock. Love of guitars, yeah. uh, you know, and, and every 10 years or so, it's the gift that keeps giving. They did my podcast, the only podcast they've ever done during COVID. Amazing. They never did a podcast. They're on my podcast, Amazing. you know? So, yeah. And then, look, I got to sing with you guys. Oh, and yeah, I mean, so. to me, it took about a week to really, people were hitting me like, I don't even think it's sunk in with you, dude. <laughs> 
Because like I'm a huge Tool fan. Oh, dude. I love Primus. I love the guys in Primus. I never thought I'd see Les playing fucking, you know, Cliff Williams stuff. You know, do 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 do. Oh yeah, Actually, it's probably Mark Evans. Um, which record is that? Yeah, it's Mark Evans. Anyway, to see and then to actually see to me to see Les, it looked like he was really digging it. Oh, dude, he loved it. I know. We were walking up together. I know. Remember at the sound check, he goes. This is going to blow people's minds. <laughs> that's what he said. He goes, this is going to blow people's minds. I mean, that's why I was so excited to surprise you. What I did was I brought a video for, oh my God. for Dean to see, and it's a video cut of that we shot. You know, we shot it. Of, I can't help but be a director. Oh. And my great friend, Pat Lasku, and Cage Claypool shot it, and we cut it, and they, they cut it together. Pat cut it together over it's the other It's fucking night. amazing. And it's, <laughs> it's amazing. And I wanted to surprise you with that. We'll put it out like in a couple days once, every, you know, once we get it tightened up. It's and, the best thing I own for me uh, performance-wise. Okay. You know what I mean? Because I... Every, everything I have is either uh, VHS and it's over there like from when I was a kid <laughs> in the like band, or it's, or it's fucking cameras from a phone, which are pretty goddamn good, but it's not like this. No, this is he sound came from over, the board. He shows me this video. It's me singing, and good, thank God I, I was singing good that night. You're singing you know what I mean? great. I was like, oh, what if I sucked, you know? And that's me, a sound from the board. It's not it's, from a bunch of phones. Oh. So it's sound right off the desk, and it's like God, you're it just singing amazing. in front of Danny Carey. And Tim Alexander drumming in tandem, and and, and Justin Chancellor and, and and Les Claypool playing bass in tandem. Two fucking ACDC. Yeah. The guys that do the most complex, gnarly shit in the world, just totally. rocking in a driving groove with you just singing your balls yeah. up. And one of my favorite things, and I've known Les for a long time, and we've worked on a bunch of stuff, and you know I love the dude, but just. Walking up to the mics together to sing that was great. Rosie like old Malcolm and, and Cliff Williams and style. Walking up together, walking back and walking up. That was so dope. I mean, I just like, you know, I just I love I love all those I love all you guys so much. But that was just such a great moment. So I'm we really Pat and those guys really put the pedal to the metal so I could get something to show you today. Oh my god, it's so great. And we'll put it up and you can put it up on your channel. I can't wait to put it up on the channel. And also the best thing about it, uh, of course, was getting money for you. But also, I've known Les for years. I had him on the podcast like about four or five years ago, and it was real tough. So I never know where I stood with Les, but I feel like over the years, he's kind of opened up. And because uh, I'm, I'm always like, does he think I'm a buffoon or what? You know what I mean? You just never know. But when I looked over at him and we're standing side by side and we're rocking, I was just like, this is Fucking great. Fucking unity, bro. Yeah, yeah. That unity. and opening for Metallica, doing yeah. comedy last year, and doing Red Rocks with Bill Burr, the highlights of my life, yeah, you know? I, <laughs> I just, I went and did with those guys because we're working on some stuff, and I went with those guys to do uh, Red Rocks oh, for wow. Trey and Matt. Yeah. And I knew the secret that Trey and Matt, you know, Matt in particular didn't know, and Matt was going to drum, so it was two nights at Red Rocks. And that and was for the um, for Trey, for the 25th anniversary of, of uh, South Park. Right, exactly. So Trey and Matt set up at Red Rocks for two nights. I think they were just going to do one night, and it was like I think there was a lottery for the tickets, and so many millions of people tried to get the tickets. They added a second night, which is like, you know, sort of like it's like a drop in the bucket. But they did do the second night, which is very amazing of them. And when it was kind of all coming together, um, Les let me know that that. Uh, Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson were going to come in as a surprise because Matt's two favorite things in the world are, you know, Rush and Primus. And the, the, the South Park guards are going out on stage with Ween and Primus. And Ween and Primus are playing these, these shows, you know, in between. And then they're putting on sketches from, from the cartoon. And they got, you know, 
Cartman and those guys talking from the screen and they're projecting them up on the rocks, which was wild. And it was a brilliantly done show. Of course, those guys are such geniuses. They are. And part of the thing was Matt sitting in. I mean, those guys are great musicians and great singers and everything. But him sitting in on the drums with with Primus. And at the time, Primus was doing a Farewell to Kings. They're doing yeah. the whole Rush album. Right. So he's like killing two birds with one stone, playing drums with Primus on stage in front of his fan base playing Rush music. It can't get any better, but it fucking can. Because the next day, me and Cage went down to a, a a rehearsal space with Les and the guys from Primus, and Getty and Alex showed up. Secret rehearsal. Secret rehearsal. Wow. And we had to keep it a secret. Yeah. And I had dinner with Matt that night with Brad Sands, um, their manager, and I knew, and he didn't. He's like, yeah, we're pretty much going to do the same set as yesterday. Um, <laughs> and I was like, no, you're not. And Les, I think, thought I was going to slip the cat out of the, yeah. the cat out of the bag. He was like... It was super cool. And seeing his face, because they were sitting on stage watching Primus play, and seeing Getty and Alex come out blew his head off. A guy who's hard to shock. Yeah. A guy who's shocked many, but very difficult to, to at this point, of this much success after doing LSD when he's nominated for an Oscar. I mean, there's not much. Wow. And he's blew his head off, you know? He's like, just, just, and it's like, don't, you know, no, I think Les looked at him and said, no pressure, because yeah. he's playing drums. Yeah, yeah. With fucking yeah. Rush and Primus at the same time. Oh my God. It was amazing. I mean, that's, that's the thing about this, this event that you did with us and that event. Like, Les is just, He's, I know. He, I love the guy, man. He's the best dude in the world. He's I love him. Such a good father it's figure. So fucking, dude. To think about the type of music that they play, and here they are a zillion years later, them and Tool, and, and you know, and, and people like Josh Homme, where you're just like, just pure gold. Pure gold. Pure gold, dude. And I know what you're talking about when you're like, he's like, you know, you're thinking like, does this guy think I'm a buffoon? Yeah. I think you know because. Les is so revered, and he's such a super genius, but he's the most down-home, nice. I love He's a great dad. I he's know. a good neighbor. He's oh, a good dude. I look up to that guy yeah, so me hard, too, dude. man. Everything. Love him. And he knows shit about everything. He's Comedy, cars, boats, flying. planes, bases. Yeah, now he's flying. And I love guys like that, Ooh. man. You know. And then his bases are all incredible. His tones. Are, I remember when I first got there for sound check, and there he is. You know, and I'm like, oh my God, listen to his tone. It's so great. Watching him and Justin Dean. And Lur's amazing. I just love Lur. He's just a human. Lur is one of the greatest guitar. I've known him since I was really young. Yeah. And he's like, I met him when I was like just a dumb little skater, you know. And his my my good friend Pat Duffy, who's one of the greatest pro skaters in history, the first guy to like you know, do huge rails and stuff. He used Primus when they were you know skate films? Yeah, he used them in the Plan B videos. And those things exploded in the skate community. And it gave Primus this like crazy, amazing legitimacy in that universe. Like Devo. Yeah, the Dwayne Peters and all those guys era, you know? Yeah, so so there was a strange connection and I became friends with Lur then. Yeah, because Lur was at the time was um, was uh, connected to Pat's sister, and uh, and we became buddies back then. And we used to jam in my apartment at Seventeenth and Guerrero, like back when I was a kid. Wow, you know, wow. we play like just we jam over there. Did you ever go to the Drunk Tank? Oh yeah, Andy Anderson. Yeah, dude, yeah. I used to DJ there. Yeah, of course, yeah, I'd be spinning rock in there, dude. Yeah, dude oh of my course. god, dude, way back. Oh yeah, way back like Carsey. So Lur is like one of the greatest guitar players. He liked Troy Van Leeuwen. Is like people don't realize how fucking gnarly those guys are. Oh God, I knew. All right, there it is. That is the episode. Abrupt, weird stop. Like I said, the SD card was kind of uh, malfunctioning, but most important, it was only a minute left or so. But anything you can do for Jimmy, hit the link in the description of this podcast and donate to our man. Have a great weekend, everybody. 
See you later.